Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So back with another This Week in Basketball, January 13th to January 19th is the week of focus. Recording this around 5.53, uh, just actually just watching uh, the AFC Championship game and just recording this one before the NFC Championship game so I get a chance to watch that uh, for you football fans out there. Um, but in terms of our itinerary, we've got a little bit of news, uh, got a couple trades to discuss. We'll go through the game of the week that I discussed last week, the Bucks celtics uh, That one was uh, this Wednesday. As I said last week, we're going to do a different format for game of the week where we go through one that I had uh, on last podcast pointed out I was going to do for this week. So that was Buck Celtics. And then we'll talk about uh, next week's uh, game of the week to watch. And then we'll just kind of finish it up with what I learned this week as well and keep it moving from there. All right. So starting out with news, Steph Curry targeting a March 1st return date from his hand injury that he uh, suffered, I think it was against the Suns when Aaron Baines fell on his hand about five games into the season back in October. He's targeting March 1st as a return date. And, you know, this is definitely kind of interesting with the, with, with the way the Warriors are, you know, at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the West really don't look like uh, they're going to have a chance to make the playoffs despite the, the carousel that we've talked about going around in the eighth seed. They, they're still 10 games back of a playoff spot or so, uh, 11 actually, as I'm looking at it here. And, it does. It didn't seem that you know it was conducive for Steph Curry to come back, try and help them win some games, and kind of keep it moving from there. But it looks like Steph Curry does want to play. They're not going to hold him out. Uh, obviously, a hand injury, so it's not anything devastating uh, in terms of lower body. So it looks like he's going to play. And I, I can't imagine this is anything more than just Steph wanting to play basketball. I mean, obviously, you know, Steph is a, as a competitor. He's a guy that wants to be out there. He's a guy that wants to help his team regardless of his team's position. And it uh, looks like we're going to get to see him this year. So March 1st is uh, Steph Curry's targeted return date from that hand injury. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing uh, Steph for the last month of the season or so. Okay, Royce O'Neal of the Utah Jazz signs a four-year, $36 million extension. Now, uh, Royce O'Neal, obviously uh, undrafted um, undrafted player back in, I think it was uh, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's played two years for the Jazz. This is his third year. Um, low, uh, if you know what he, he was out of Baylor, by the way. Um, undrafted, obviously. He's got a couple of years experience. 26 years old. And... You know, Royce O'Neal's played real well for the Jazz. I, I, I'm not going to lie over these past few years. He's obviously known as a defensive player, uh, a wing stopper that can get into some of your uh, better players and really try to slow them down. And he's quietly shooting, you know, very well from the field despite uh, and from three despite very low attempts. I mean, he's shooting 47% from the field, you know, only 4.7 shots per game. And from three, it's the same thing. 2.9 three-point attempts per game, but shooting them at a 44% clip. And... We've seen here from, from Royce O'Neal that his attempts have risen every uh, each of the three years. So in 2017-18, his first year with the Jazz, he had 1.7 attempts, shot those at 35%. His second year, 2.1 attempts, shot those at 38%. Again, these are three-pointers. And this year, 2.9 attempts, shooting at 44%. So they've, the volume is rising. And the efficiency is rising as well for Royce O'Neal, which is obviously a good sign. You know, good free throw shooter. Although he doesn't get to the line much, but, uh, but does contribute on the boards, contributes uh, in the assist category at two and a half assists as well. And, you know, you're not looking for, you know, scoring from a guy like Royce O'Neal. You're not going to run any plays for the guy, 
But he's just been very solid. He's a solid off-ball defender. He's a solid on-ball defender as well. He's a very good piece in the Jazz system. And, you know, paying $9 million, he's only 26 years old, and paying $9 million for that uh, and, you know, banking on the fact that maybe his offensive game improves a little bit and knowing that you're going to get that defensive versatility where you can just kind of throw him on the second or third option or even the first option in some cases uh, on some teams and, uh, you know, just kind of feel comfortable with his ability to slow those guys down is is something you, you definitely want to pay for in this league, in my opinion. So I'm not overly ecstatic about the deal um but for year 36 i think is you know a pretty fair money for royce o'neill i'm uh i think that's a fair value contract i don't think it's necessarily an overpay uh i don't think he got a the 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 jazz got a steal here uh, by any means either i think he's adequately paid but uh good for royce o'neill you know always like to see when those undrafted guys you know get uh get some money like he did and you know 36 million dollars is life-changing money and uh, he'll get, be able to get back out there on the market uh, when he's 30 years old. And if he Im- improves like the Jazz hope he will, then he'll have a chance for a second contract as well. So good for Royce O'Neal. I don't think that there's any options. doesn't look like there's any team or player options for this deal. But uh, nonetheless, four years, $36 million extension for Royce O'Neal. Okay, let's talk about uh, one of the two trades here. So at L- the Atlanta Hawks had traded Alan Crabb who's making $18.5 million, uh this year to Minnesota for Jeff Teague at $19 million and Travion Graham at $1.6 million. So basically um, what this does uh, is basically get Trey Young some backup point guard help here for the Atlanta Hawks uh, in Jeff Teague. And, you know, if, if Jeff Teague is injured, then Travion Graham as well can play some point guard as well. Um, obviously, the Atlanta Hawks backup point guard situation coming into the year was something that most of us were very worried about. It's one of the reasons I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. And, uh, you know, between Evan Turner uh, and whoever else you want to play, like I think like Cam Reddish, uh, DeAndre Hunter, like these are the types of guys that were getting to play backup point guard, which is, you know, completely ludicrous to expect rookies to play out of position, uh, at a position like point guard, one of the hardest in the NBA. So to get some competent uh, backup point guard play, you know, have Trey Young learn under Jeff Teague, the tricks of the trade and all that sort of stuff is really good. Um, and, you know, there's uh, all of these guys are in the last year's other deal. So they're all expiring contracts. Uh, so for Atlanta, I think it's just the ability to get some backup point guard help there for Trey Young. And um, for Minnesota, you know, I hope that there's a move coming here for them. Uh, obviously, they opened up the, a point guard spot, but it doesn't uh, unless I see some you know corresponding move to fill that spot with somebody. Uh, I don't necessarily understand what their angle is here, and it's kind of interesting. So I've heard rumors of you know D'Angelo Russell or whatever, but you know that's going to take some salary. That's going to take some uh, uh, some real you know big pieces being moved. Maybe even possibly Andrew Wiggins in that trade. So I don't necessarily know what the path is to getting a guy like D'Angelo Russell from Minnesota. And if you're not getting D Russ, then who are you getting to fill that point guard spot? Um, when you are basically fighting at the moment for a playoff spot. I mean, you know, they're 15th right now, or sorry, 15 and 27. Um, and currently five games back of the eight seed. And they're not completely out of it here. In my opinion, they're not completely out of it. If they could just go on a little winning streak here and actually get to get it together, they can, uh, they can certainly make some noise, and yet they've traded away here Jeff Teague and don't have any imminent, you know, kind of places to go uh, as it pertains to getting another player to fill that point guard spot. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm you know, I got to believe there's something else coming. Um, 
Uh, and I do believe that there is. But right now, without that other move, this looks like a confusing one for Minnesota. So once again, Alan Crabb going to the Timberwolves for Jeff T and Travion Graham uh, going back to Atlanta. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, second trade. The Portland Trailblazers are trading Ken Bazemore and his $19.2 million, as well as Anthony Tolliver and his $2.5 million. And, and two second-round picks to Sacramento. And they're getting back Trevor Ariza, who's got two years, $25 million left on his deal. Wenyan Gabriel at $1.4 million, And Caleb Swanigan at $2 million. So, to me, um, this is a big money-saving move, I would think, for both teams. So, Woj reporting here that the Blazers are saving $12.3 million in the deal and the cuts their luxury tax bill in half. And the Kings as well are going to save $7 million in luxury tax with this move as well. So a bit of a cost-cutting move here for both teams. Um, but the interesting piece here, obviously, is to me is Trevor Ariza for, um, for the Portland Trailblazers. To me, I think, you know, obviously cutting... Uh, $12.3 million in salary is, is good for them. Obviously, that's something that they wanted to do here. Uh, and the luxury tax bill takes a big uh, dip as well for Portland, who, you know, again, much like the Timberwolves, can make some noise here, but it's going it's to take, take a bit of a run for them to get back in it. But I also think that they value Trevor Ariza. I think he's just kind of been sitting on the bench there for the Sacramento Kings and not really getting adequate opportunity. Now, Trevor Ariza isn't necessarily the player he once was, you know, back in Houston and in some of his other stops like Washington, etc. But I still think he's a player that can help them at the three. I think they can plug him in there, small ball four even, uh, and just, you know, get some quality defensive help and, you know, hopefully knock down some open threes as well for Trevor Ariza. So, you know, $12.5 million, uh, over the next two years for a total of $25 million for Trevor Ariza isn't necessarily heartbreaking. You'll survive with that. Um, and, you know, Wenyan Gabriel and Swanigan are just kind of throw-ins. I'm not sure how they're going to be able to contribute on this roster. Maybe Caleb, Caleb Swanigan can, um, can give him some minutes. But uh, I think the piece here is uh, Trevor Ariza and Portland's belief that he can still be a player as well as cutting some cost. And, you know, for the Kings, you know, Trevor Ariza wasn't necessarily getting a ton of minutes. Uh you know, they save $7 million in luxury tax, and um, I'm not sure. Maybe they like Ken Bazemore uh, as a guy that can, play, that can play there. Maybe there's a move uh, involving Boyan or uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich that uh, they understand that he might be on the trade block, and maybe Bazemore is going to take his minutes. Uh, Tolliver can play some four, but again, how many guys do the Kings have, uh, you know, at the four or five spot right now? Uh, one of them, uh, Dwayne Denman, not necessarily the happiest in his situation, and he's looking to get moved as well. So maybe that's a place uh, to get some front court minutes there for uh, the Sacramento Kings. But uh, yeah, not, nonetheless, pretty menial move all, all in all. Two teams looking to fight to get into the playoffs while at the same time, you know, cutting some money uh, on their salary cap and luxury tax bills. So once again, Kent Bazemore, Anthony Tolliver, and two seconds uh, are going to Sacramento for Trevor Reza, Wendon Gabriel, and Caleb Swanigan. Okay, let's talk game of the week here. So I picked the Bucks versus the Celtics. Uh, I thought that that was going to be a great game, game there on TNT. So let, let's go through it here. So Jalen Brown did not play in this game. That was the only major injury. Uh, he had a sprained thumb. So in the first quarter, you know, the Bucks really imposed their will uh, in terms of getting to the rim. They really made it a point to put pressure on the rim, drive there, get fouled, get into the paint. 
And the only person that was um, that was not looking to do that was Brooke Lopez. Excuse me, who got a couple wide open threes, made a, co- a couple open threes on the left wing. And then uh, he took a bit of a heat check from the opposite right wing, and he made that one as well. So the the, the Bucks really had it going um, from the field here in the first quarter. The Celtics, on the other hand, they had a couple bad turnovers to start. They hadn't even attempted a three until about halfway uh, into uh, the first quarter, uh, but did get a couple of nice looks at the rim from uh, Tice and Tatum. Uh, but they just couldn't stop the Bucks from driving to the rim, and they obviously... Um, continued to foul them as the Bucks really got into the bonus early in quarters uh, throughout this game. Um, so the Bucks, you know, they started 4-4 from three, and the Celtics started 0-4 from three. And, you know, Celtics playing a lot of isolation basketball in the early going, not much ball movement and, um, you know, tangible sets that you could point to. So at 3-0-5, you know, the Bucks. Uh, have shot nine of sixteen from the field, and the Celtics five of eighteen. So it's it, it's the discrepancy is really there, uh, and the Bucks just continue to hit shots from all over the place, turnaround jumpers, uh, you know, deep mid rangers, threes off of curls. Uh, they had everything going, and after one, it was thirty six to twenty for Milwaukee, and the Bucks had shot sixty two percent from the field and six of seven from three after the first quarter. So they really really had it going and set that tone in the first. So in the second quarter, you know, the shooting really continues to stay hot for the Bucs. The, the, the score was 53-28 to 28 at the seven-minute mark. And then, you know, the Celtics started to come around a little bit. They made a couple of threes early, but they were still down, you know, by quite a bit. Uh, to this point, with uh, 6.43 left uh, in the second quarter, the Celtics are 9 of 18 from two and 3 of 18 from three. Uh, while the Bucks are 10 of 19 from two and eight of nine from three. So the, the shooting discrepancy is pretty clear there. You know, it was 53 to 31 uh, with about 643 to go. And then really this, this second quarter was highlighted by the play of Kemba Walker, uh, who scored 24 points uh, after being scoreless in the first quarter, scored 24 points in the second quarter alone. He was fantastic in this game. And Marcus Smart also started knocking down some looks, which helped cut the cut into the lead a little bit. But the Celtics just couldn't get enough stops to go on a run. The, the Bucks really kept um, their foot on the gas offensively throughout this game. And another guy I wanted to highlight, you know, from the Bucks was Dante DiVincenzo. He did a lot of damage from downtown. He had a couple uh, off the dribble three pointers shooting over the top of Marcus Smart. He had a catch and shoot three. He had 13 points in the half. It was you know a big spark there for the Milwaukee Bucks on top of uh, some points there from Giannis and Chris Middleton as well. So uh, at the half, it's 76 to 58 uh, for the Bucks, and 76 points is the highest. Uh, the most amount of points that the Bucks have scored in a half this season. They shot 12 of 15 from three, and they led by as many as 27 in that half. So a very dominant first half for the Milwaukee Bucks. You can tell offensively it was really where they got it going. And uh, the Celtics just continued to struggle. And had it not been for um, you know Kemba Walker's 24 points, this would have been an even more of a blowout uh, than it was looking like in the first half. Um but in the, you get to the third quarter here, and Boston starts uh, getting to the line a bit, a little bit, and they slowly start cutting into that lead, and actually got it down to 11 early in the third with about eight minutes to go. And the Bucks started coming back down to earth, shooting a little bit as well. And the Celtics just looked like they were playing a lot harder on both ends, you know, diving, you know, for loose balls to save possession on offense, really digging in defensively. 
Uh, they really kind of flipped a bit of a switch here, did the Celtics, in the third quarter. And so now Kemba gets a four-point play, gets fouled on a three, uh, and uh, a technical foul was assessed to the Bucks. So Kemba scores four straight free throws, and the Bucks' lead gets cut down to nine. Uh, so this really starts becoming a game here in the third quarter. You know, Marcus Smart played fantastic in this quarter as well. He's hitting threes. He's attacking closeouts. couple nice possessions on defense against Giannis as well. And then the lead at one point is now cut to six. So the Celtics went on a 23-11 run in that third with five minutes to go, and the script was really flipped uh, from the first half where the Celtics were the ones really getting everything to go and the Bucks really just couldn't seem to buy a bucket. Um, and then after they cut it to six, the Bucks really started turning it up again. So Middleton really, Chris Middleton really got it going in the third. He continued to hit some tough mid-rangers when the Bucks couldn't really manufacture good looks. And then the 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 shots started to fall a little bit. Uh, Nineteen to six run with Giannis off the floor. You know, buckets from Middleton, DiVincenzo, Corver, and George Hill all making shots uh, in that run to bump the lead back up to twenty. Uh, in the third quarter and 106-87 uh, for the Bucks after three. Uh, so, you know, after the Celtics in the third, they started, you know, making it a game a little bit. Um, it was actually when Giannis went off the floor in that in those closing minutes in the third that the Bucks really started making that run. Again, I mentioned buckets from, you know, Middleton, DiVincenzo, Kyle Korver, and George Hill. All of those guys really contributing in that run there. Um and you get to the fourth quarter, and, you know, the fourth quarter started going back and forth a little bit. Um, no one gaining any tangible advantage, in my opinion. You know, the Celtics did get it down to six at the end of the game, and it was, you know, they had the the ball uh, down six with about a minute and a half to go, but just couldn't, um, couldn't hit shots, you know, down the stretch to get it any closer here. Um, so that was pretty much the game. 128 to 123, the Bucks get the victory. The, the game was a lot... Um, not as close as I should say, as the score indicates, it was a bit of a, a bit of a blow for most of the game, uh, despite uh, some couple surges there from the Celtics. But uh, Giannis with another massive game, 32, 17 rebounds and seven assists, and uh, for the Celtics, it was Kemba Walker with 40 points that really uh, kind of kept them in this game and kept it within five. So, uh, so that was the game of the week. Uh, you know, let me know what you what you thought of this game. Whether you like this format, whether it's good that I'm telling you the game in advance so you can kind of watch it and agree or disagree. You know, with some of my takes, or maybe I missed something. Um, this, that, and the other. I'm you know happy to discuss any of that stuff with you guys on Twitter or via. Um, you know, Facebook, uh, IG, whatever you guys want to hit me up on. So next week's game, we're going to do Spurs Pelicans, which is the return of Zion Williamson. That is going to be Wednesday, January 22nd at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to be a very exciting one. You got to believe that, uh, you know, Giannis, or sorry, not Giannis, uh, Zion will be on a minutes limit. I understand that, but, um, we're, we've been waiting to see him for a long time, and uh, I, I can't wait to see Zion in this game. So that'll be the one that we do, may, uh, maybe with an extra little focus on Zion's minutes. Uh, again, has not played this season, and this will be the, the first game that he's in. So um, Spurs-Pelicans, January 22nd, 9.30. That will be next week's game of the week. All right, bit of a shorter pod today. Let's jump to what I learned this week. So I was listening to a podcast um, Ben Taylor with Thinking Basketball had Shane Battier on, and he talked about how players use analytics to help inform their decision making on the court. And Shane Battier, you know, really 
when he was with the Rockets is when he really discovered um, the true power of analytics and and its abilities. And so I learned a little bit about, you know, how how Shane would get, you know, when his time is in Memphis, the, you know, the analytics ne- weren't necessarily, you know, up to par like they are now. But when he got to Houston and uh, were with, you know, Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkie at the time, he really found that they embraced it a lot more than every other team. So basically a lot of what scouting reports used to be were more qualitative as he describes it. Um, so you would disc- you would say like, I don't know, like Kobe Bryant he is the example he used, you know, quick first step, looking to draw fouls, great in the mid range, uh, you know, shoots going, drives going to his right, shoots going to his left, you know, one dribble pull up, all this sort of stuff, right? And it was just qualitative, you know, describing, uh, you know, the game of Kobe Bryant and what he was good at. And then when he got to Houston, it was a lot more detailed. So not only would it have the qualitative perspective, but it also, it would also have the quantitative perspective. So Let's say he's, you know, a post player like so this post player, you know, like goes like right shoulder, very effective right shoulder, uh, you know, the hook or whatever. A nice turnaround jumper, you know, takes two dribbles uh, and looking to score one dribble, looking to pass, etc. And then it would have, you know, how many times does he go over his right shoulder per game? What field goal percentage was he shooting going over right right shoulder? And then what about left shoulder? If you forced him left shoulder, what percentages would that give you? And how often does he do that per game? And, you know, now Battier was basically able to see what he was willing to give up uh, as a defender from a percentage standpoint. And those, you know, little extra percentage points really helped him as a defender in the league because he was understanding what the... Uh, like quantitatively what he could give up that was the best shot in an isolation situation or in a pick and roll situation uh, that he was able to do. And he said he, it was, it was tough for him at the beginning because he had to do that within the scheme of the defense. So player X doesn't like to go left. Well, the defensive scheme also understands that you don't want to have him go middle. So even though he's better going right, you might want to have to force him right because you're for, you're playing within your defensive scheme and have to force him, you know, to the sideline. If he's on the right wing, for example, where if he's on the left wing, um, you know, maybe you want him ice that pick and roll and send him left to his weak side and be when you're within your defensive scheme. So you see, like, the type of stuff that Battier is talking about. And so, basically, I say all that to say I've learned that this, like, teams get these scouting reports on players, like, like every game. Like, every game. Like, the, the analytics department for a specific NBA team is giving out these scouting reports on a, every single regular season game basis. And... When I, and what I learned essentially is I don't think a lot of these guys are reading these scouting reports because I'm still what you you watch and you understand specific players and you know their tendencies and what they like to do and you find that they they are still able to go to those moves game in and game out and you know nobody's even trying to stop them so I got a few examples okay I got a few examples one the obvious one to me is the Chris Paul rip through like. I, I can't count how many times, like, when he's got four fouls or five fouls at the end of the quarter and, you know, he's he's got the ball in triple threat and pick and roll and the screen comes and the guy extends his arm out into his left arm or onto his right arm and is touching him, Chris Paul will just rip through 
get to the free throw line and have two easy free throws as he as he shoots them at 90% at a 90% clip. Guys should know like, hey, if you're in the bonus, do not touch Chris Paul. Do not extend your arm in front of him. He is going to go to the free throw line and we're going to give up an easy automatic two points. Like that should be so clear in in the heads of defenders. If you're guarding Chris Paul in the bonus, do not extend your arm. No extension, and yet every single game, CP gets one to two to three, sometimes four of those per game, and it's ludicrous. Nobody ever learns uh, not to do that. Here's another example. Lou Williams is always going to pull up going to his left. Every single time Lou Williams drives left, he's going to pull up and fade. Every single time. You have to know that. So... Do something about it. And you know, maybe, and as I'm talking to myself, maybe you just can't do anything about this stuff. Maybe you just absolutely cannot, you know, stop CP because if you put your hands up, he's just going to get an easy release off the pick and roll and get into a mid-ranger, which is almost just as, (laughs) almost just as much of a bucket as a free throw. Maybe like you just cannot stop Lou Will going to his left. And it's impossible, even though it's in the scouting report. I I understand that might be with the case here, but to me, like you know, send Lou Will to his right, like sit on that left shoulder, like send him off the pick and roll, going right, make him force him to go do stuff that is not going to be an automatic bucket. Um, is a, another one is Demonis Sabonis, the guy like barely uses his right hand, like barely uses his right hand, always goes left shoulder all the time, and yet nobody forces him left. The man is killing it. He's killing you with his left hand and still nobody can stop it. So I understand there's probably a balance here of, you know, maybe not reading the scouting report hard enough and not being ha- not having the mental discipline in in your head to stick to that report uh, that you study before the game. Um, and maybe the other part of it is like you just can't stop it. Like these guys, they're NBA quality NBA level players, like best players in the world for a reason. And like their go-to moves are so unstoppable that even if you read the scouting report, you can't stop it. I understand that that probably could be a part of the equation as well, but I think there are a lot of cases and there's probably, there's a lot that I didn't mention here as well that you can probably, you can, you can probably slow a guy down or limit his percentages on a given night just by being disciplined and reading that scouting report before the game. And basically I understand now how detailed, not only do I understand how detailed these scouting reports are, but I just, I think I have a firm belief that these reports are so now detailed and so specific and so granular that you should be able to take that information and apply it on the court to defend your, the guy that you're guarding that night to the best of your ability. And I just think personally that I don't think these players are taking a good enough advantage of those types of scouting reports. And, um, and yeah, I think I I, th- I think that's it personally. Um, I think that's exactly what it is. I don't think that these guys suck. That's not what I'm saying at all. I don't think they're stupid. I don't think that they're uh, anything like that. Um, but are these guys maybe you know on the road, you know, preparing for a game and you know doing their preparation and you know maybe this scouting report just doesn't cross their mind or they just don't read it because they're too busy doing other stuff, whether it be on the road at home. Yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of these guys because I think that if they read this scouting report, you would know that CP is going to rip through. You're going to know that Lou Williams is going to like pull it up, going to his left, all that sort of stuff. So that's basically what I learned this week is I didn't realize how detailed these scouting reports were and the fact that you get them for all 82 regular season games 
Um, and the fact that based on what I'm seeing out there and through some of the examples that I've just shared with you for some specific players, I think some guys are not reading them and I think they should be. So thanks for listening. Isoball podcast, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can follow it all there. Uh, subscribe and, and rate on Apple podcasts. That helps a lot. Spotify, Google podcasts, wherever you get your stuff. Uh, you can find me there. So thanks very much for listening. Game of the week next week, Spurs, Pelicans, Zion return. Be sure to watch that one, and we'll talk about it here next week. Uh, but until then, uh, have a good one, and uh, enjoy the football games, guys, if you, are, uh, if you are a football fan. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.